The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Bell. You might have heard of the PayPal Mafia. A term given to people that came through PayPal and then went on to invest and found and help grow other tech companies. People like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman, companies like Tesla, LinkedIn and Yelp all trace back to PayPal. Well, in New Zealand, I think we have our own version of that, the Trade Me Mafia. The people who helped that company start, scale, grow and sell have gone on to use the capital they built up, both in terms of money that they made and the social proof of their good judgment and business sense and they've gone on and fostered a lot of the local industry. It's a theme of this podcast and one of the key members of what I'd call that mafia is Lance Wiggs. You can draw one of those detective show style photo boards with all the lines and there'd be lines all over businesses boring for today's guest. Lance has been a director, investor or advisor to many of the people on this podcast. Weirdly, once it Vend, populate, and timely, to name a few. Lance has taken his experience and created a vehicle to help fund and propel high-growth companies forward with Punakaiki Fund. And he's a prominent commentator on local high-tech companies. We get him on today to find out about his career, his fund, and why he keeps doing it when he's probably done well enough to do a lot more bike riding, which is one of his hobbies. Thank you for joining us today, Lance. Uh, thank you. Let me just a couple of corrections here. So we have a trade <laughs> mafia in New Zealand, but... Uh, unlike the PayPal Mafia, only a few of them actually made a whole bunch of money. Uh, I think what's really interesting about the Trade Me Mafia is, and I was just looking now to see where everyone's landed up, it's a real diaspora. You've got people like Nick Wakelin, who's, um, oh, actually Nick wasn't at Trade Me, but uh, he did some work for them on the side. But, you know, he's, he's flipped out to two other companies. Um, Cameron Melpot and Jamie Howell, they were the first, along with Nigel Stanford, they were the first spin out of Trade Me. They started a company called Star Now, which has gone on to be very successful. Star Now now employs uh, um, a bunch of other Trade Me uh, expats, uh, including Alan Howe, the ex-head of Dev, and uh, Tim James, the guy who did the uh, Kevin the Kiwi, um, and Jesse Morgan herself is a director there. Uh, and it just goes on. You know, Tony Barrett, uh, Sarah Pinnell, uh, uh, Kirsty Grant, these are, these are sort of people that have been out there and doing things with lots of different people. Michael O'Donnell, Mod, um, he's... Uh, He's flipped into in two or three different places, and now he's uh, up here in Auckland uh, working with um, a company that Sam Morgan actually owns. Uh, the um, Alex Fuller, obviously, we, we both know Alex pretty well from uh, from Vend, and I should note that Punakaki Fund is an investor in Vend. Mm-hmm. Uh, love watching uh, you guys at work. 
Uh, you know, Richard Humphreys uh, was, uh, Humphrey, you know, he's at Trade Tested, has formed his own mafia, uh, really, and uh, around uh, Trade Tested and, and a bunch of other stuff uh, out of Trade Me. And, and then Ryan Baker and Andrew Schofield with Timely. Uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. And it's really fun watching uh, these folks uh, go through uh, and link up with more and more people across New Zealand. And then kudos to people like John McDonald and, and Jimmy inside Trade Me who have stayed there uh, since I left and uh, before I arrived, really, uh, uh, or when I left in 2006. Uh, so it's just wonderful to watch. And you wanted to be at Trade Me in 2004, 2005. That, if you're of the internet in New Zealand, that's where you wanted to be. It was an amazing time, an incredible place, uh, likely not to be repeated uh, in that company, but it's being repeated in many other places and many other companies throughout New Zealand at the moment. Yeah, tell me about that because, um, you know, one of the reasons that there is such a, and it's so cool to hear those names that you don't hear all the time because you always do hear the Rowan, Simp- uh, the, the, the Rowan Simpsons, the Sam Morgans, um, Vaughan Rousel, he was uh, in, in Trade Me as well. You hear those kind of like um, currently very prominent people, but it's that next wave that it gets really exciting. Um, t- tell me how it was, what, what was it about the company then uh, that made it such a place? You walked in the door. So I was always a consultant. I was never an employee. And I was three days a week, but I'd often stay late. Another guy, uh, Paul Gold, he and I would be there late at night. Everyone else would leave at 5, 5.30, So I thought it was very strange. But the thing is, you'd walk in the door in the morning and everyone's there and there was a quiet hum. And everyone's just, just working at very, very smart people, working incredibly efficiently and effectively. Uh, this is not goofing around kind of stuff, although it was a really nice feeling in the place. Um, and just, you know, it, getting stuff done very quickly and very effectively, seeing the results immediately on the site. Uh, and uh, and it was just, that was it. It was just a, a good, hard, it was a very hard place to get into, very hard to become an employee. Um, clearly, I didn't make the cut. Uh, very, uh, very easy to leave, um, you know, which is a lesson I, I, I pass on to many um, early stage companies these days, you know, make it hard to get in and easy to leave. Uh, and um, What does that mean, sorry? So just have very high standards in your recruiting. Mm-hmm. Don't settle for how oh, you know she's good enough, he's good enough. Um, and uh, if someone's not a culture fit in particular, uh, it's you obviously you work through a process and, and manage that. But but really, it's better for everyone when someone's not performing if that person moves on, mm-hmm. uh, either turns around or moves on. And obviously, there's more to it than that. You've got to dig into why, what's going on, what's happening outside of the work, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I've never really seen a case where someone's been asked to leave for performance issues and it hasn't been best for everybody. What made Trade Me the place? Was it that there were not other uh, high-tech, high-value companies, high-growth companies, uh, as many around, as many options? No, I, th- I think the surprising thing about Trade Me is, you know, people say, oh, it's just like eBay. And and yet it was much better than eBay. It was the, the site was much easier for end users to navigate. So the, what the, the first lesson I'd learned, I'd take from that, was that the end user centricity. Usability was uh, everything at TradeMe. Does it make the user experience better? You know, does it look after, after that process? Um, and so that was, that was a discipline uh, within the company held by everybody. Uh, the, uh, the thing about TradeMe is that they made very few mistakes. And when they did make a mistake, they fixed it fast. And so it was well governed. You had a good board. Um, Sam could run rings around them, and his dad was on there too. So, um, uh, but uh, but they did have a process. They did have good management, and and they um, and they 
found mistakes, fessed up to them and changed them generally very, very quickly. I'm still angry about the uh, travel bug naming, um, but I'll get over that eventually, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was good. And, and you know, I, just, I enjoyed working there, um, doing my little thing. Um, everyone else enjoyed the same, and it was just a good bunch of people doing, doing good work. And, and another thing that that company really represented for New Zealand was when it sold, it seemed to be this big number. And it was almost like the international tech frothiness had come to visit New Zealand. But as time's gone on, that 750 million figure seems like some pretty amazing value. It was. And my counsel at the time to um, the, the to Sam, I guess, and, and, uh, and Richard was, it's worth much more than this. It's worth over a billion um, and they replied, sure, um, but there's 750 million here. Mm. And I completely agree with you know, their philosophy of, you know, take the money that's there. 2001 was very um, still ringing in all of our uh, minds. Uh, you know, we, we had these valuations that were frothy and that disappeared overnight. Um, this was a different business. It was, you know, foundly uh, held, you know, great foundations, I guess. And, uh, but... You know, the, I understand why they did it. They they're able to take the money, um, change their lives immediately, uh, and off you go. And, and, and change you, a lot of look, other lives. They've gone and used that capital to to, sure. to help um, to help foster another whole generation. Sure, some of them have, um, and and good on them for that. Uh, you know, I think overall the trade me uh, lottery winners, uh, as uh, we fondly called them, um, they uh, actually were really responsible with their yeah. with their um, uh, their newfound wealth. Um, Almost all of them weren't flashy with it. Uh, they um, most of them committed back into the ecosystem, and you know, really good on them for that. Some of them kept working, uh, and they didn't necessarily have to. So yeah, no, a lot of a lot of appreciation for the way they went about their business afterwards. And that brings us quite nicely to Punakaiki Fund, which has been, um, you, you, we've had a few of the guests, as I mentioned, um, of this show, uh, companies in your portfolio, and it's been a very public process where you've tried to set up a fund to uh, provide for uh, supporting these high growth companies, and you've done it in a number of public ways. Tell us about getting started in those, those first kind of setbacks. Yeah, so it's actually the second PFL. Mm. The first PFL was uh, Pacific Fiber Limited, mm. um, but uh, but actually, when just after the uh, deals done with Trade Me, I, I made an aside to Sam and said, oh, "Okay, that's great. Let's start a fund. You know, let's invest in some companies." And he was, "Oh, no, no I'm too early. I can't think about that." And it was they were all, all just sort of grappling with the fact that they just you know changed their lives. Um, and but I'd always wanted to start a fund. That's why I came back to New Zealand. If you look at my application to Yale, is I want to come back and do this stuff, uh, and I just couldn't get it away for for many years because I just I didn't have the connections uh, on the either the fundraising side, and I did have the connections, I guess, on the deal flow side, and, and I, I really kept a foot in that community for for all the way through, and. It got to the so we did Pacific Fiber and that was a bit of a distraction because uh, I was going to do the fund then, but I was always missing an offsider, um, someone to um, uh, the, the, a partnership. It was what I was looking for, someone someone who could um, work through a lot of the process sides of the things, who can back me up because I'll I'll leave things on the ground, uh, and I found Chris Humphreys at Pacific Fiber, which is great. And when so when that stopped, uh, we um, we got together and, and founded. Uh, LWCM, which is the company that manages Pinnacle Fund, and spent a year on developing the concept and, and and pushing it around, and then we went public, 
We wrote a prospectus, which is a brutal endeavor. Uh, we got a board uh, and uh, we, we did a public offer, not to IPO, but just to just to say anyone can invest. And the good thing about that was, you know, I, people, I know a lot of retail investors. I don't know anyone really in the investment community in the big end of town. And when we went and talked to them all, they didn't really understand the space. So the reason there's a, an opportunity with Punakaki Fund is that we understand that this amazing space of high growth companies uh, is underserved by capital. But when we went and talked to the people with the big money, they didn't even understand that. Mm. And they, you know, and when they do apply the money, they, they generally put it into things like GeoOp and it just disappears. Uh, so, uh, so that failed. We raised three point three million instead of the five minimum and twenty that we're aiming for. Uh, that was in sort of October, November two thousand and thirteen. And that the night, so we extended it once. The night that that five o'clock. On the last day of the offer, when we were shutting it, I was on stage at the NZICT conference, you know, being the last speaker. And so I had to do the rah-rah session. And it was pretty much, you know what, we just went out there and failed. And what's the worst that can happen to us? Really? What's the worst? Come on, bring it on. And, and you know what? We're still standing. Lost a bunch of money, lost a year, whatever it is, but we're still here. Bring it on. And we went out again. And that was great. Good self-motivation for me too, because I had to write that speech and, and talk about it and it just sort of yeah made me realize yes it's not wasted we went out again the next march took the investor list we had emailed them and said if you're a wholesale investor click here read this investment memorandum and we got one and a half million dollars mm. and we gave it to timely we gave it to what's now called raygun it was uh, mindscape uh, jd trusk uh, we gave it to influx and we gave it to vibe communications and um you know, Influx is, uh, they've had a few tough times along the way, uh, but they're growing and they're, they're, all, they're still there um, and good company, good people. Uh, but Timely, uh, Raygun and Vibe have just gone nuts, yeah. completely nuts. And uh, and so we did well. And then we raised more money during the year and more again and more again and more again. And now um, we're currently doing a raise. Uh, check out our website, punikakefund.co.nz. <laughs> uh, closes on Monday. Currently do a raise. Uh, the fund size before the raise is $27 million. The share price or the net asset value per share has gone from $10 and when we started in uh, uh, three years ago now, goodness, uh, 2014, April. Uh, it's gone from $10 to $22.46. Uh, per share, so um, and we just keep raising money, putting it into companies, and currently we have nineteen companies, uh, uh, and uh, it's so much fun. Five million dollars is even three years ago. That's two or three houses in an average street in an average suburb, and out of that level of capital, you guys have helped to foster companies that have gone on to have real uh, real employees and real exports and do real things for the the industry. And yet, there's so much capital available for unproductive assets. And it's so much harder to get the money for the productive assets. Yeah, the issue that we're facing is that it's really easy for people um, to play in real estate. Mm. And I've always said, I looked at real estate and I bought a house years ago and I sold it and made good money in it. But I I thought, you know what, this is not a game I have a competitive advantage in. Uh, I'm good at, I I could do it, but I'm not really organized enough to be a good landlord Mm. uh, and... uh, you know, I'd, you don't need to sort of go to Yale and do all that stuff to do that. So I, I, I won't play in that space. I'll play in the space over here, which is, which is where I can get an advantage. And you know, but it, I can completely understand. I've got friends doing the same. They're like, "Well, I'm gonna, I've got a bit of spare cash. I'm going to buy a house, or, or apartments, or rent them out." And and it's the numbers even now still work in some places in New Zealand. And I, I can't really argue with it and fundamentally it comes back to the you know the tax system yeah um giving a great advantage to it 
you know, as, a, as an investor in high-growth companies, we have no capital gains tax. It's unreal. So the, the, the actual advantages are with us too. So we, it's, it's an, you can get incredible returns in New Zealand by investing in high-growth companies and just holding those investors, investments, and you don't pay any tax. Mm. How's that not great? Yeah. And, and yet, um, because of the, uh, well, I'll, I'll rewind a little. In 2002, 3, 4, the New Zealand Venture Investment Fund was set up. And they co-funded the, the beginnings of the VC industry. They, they co-funded several venture capitalists, almost all of whom failed. Um, they might have succeeded in some other way, but they failed in the core of, of being great VC investors. Uh, I talked to one on the other day, um, and you know, they just missed their hurdle. They eventually sort of worked all these things out and, and got it. But that wasn't anywhere close to smashing it out of the park, and the capital could have been better deployed elsewhere. Uh, and I think the flow-on effect from that has been that the, that people have looked at the industry and thought, wow, it's a good way to lose money. And you're right. You give your money to the wrong person, invest it in the wrong company, it's a good way to lose money very quickly or very slowly. Uh, but um, And that's that's what something we look for in companies when we invest. We say, well, can you, with this money, get to a place where you don't need any more money ever again? And, uh, and we look for the answer to that to be yes. Uh, and then when they are getting towards that place, they often say, well, hey, have out some more money because we'd like to accelerate our growth. Because we've, we've used the money we had responsibly and got to the place we told you we'd yeah. get to. And, you know, look, generally you don't. I mean, generally people overestimate what they'll do. Uh, but then you get the occasional timely who just smash it um, right on their curve and, and get to profitability and, and keep going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, you know, that's wonderful to watch. What kind of things do you look for in a founder or a co-founders or a company that comes into your fund? So we start with, with a pretty simple approach. We start with the end user, who is the person using the product. So think about Trade Me, that's that whole end user centricity. Are they, is the product easy for them to use? Are they listing stuff? Are they selling stuff? How are use placed versus the competitive options for that end user? That sort of thing. How's the product? Is it great? Uh, is it, does, you know, are they using design? Do they have a niche that's global? All that sort of good stuff. And we look for a tight global niche if you can or you know, good understanding of where they're going. Then we look for the, um, the way to get money. So how good are you? You might have the best product in the world, but you, you need to sell it as well. And it's quite often different people that use it and pay for it. And so how do you get to market? Well, let's, let's have a look at your sales machine. And it's generally at the beginning, it's the founder. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations over the years with founders to say, well, actually, you know, you're it. You are the salesperson until you get to a certain stage where you can afford to hire someone else. And so we look at the, the, the sales engine and how that can grow and whether money going in is going to accelerate that or not. Then we look at the people, uh, obviously the founders themselves. Uh, you know, good people goes a long way. Don't give your money to psychopaths if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that, people that are recommended to you, people that like people, um, it's, it's uh, people that people want to work for. Uh, all that sort of stuff, people that are self-aware. Uh, we're not looking for people who necessarily have done it before or, or who are going to be great uh, CEOs of a $100 million company. We back them to learn that on the way. Mm. And pretty much anyone can learn that. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's a learnable thing. Uh, we, uh, and maybe you know, at the appropriate stage, do they have the right board and, and, and all that sort of stuff? And are they getting good stuff? And then finally, we look at the um, the numbers. But... If the first three things aren't there, the numbers aren't going to be there either, or you don't believe the numbers that you see. And the classic, you know, thing of an early stage founder is, 
um, the very early stage ones that is, they draw a hockey stick curve to say, look, I'm going to get all this revenue. And yeah, I don't believe that. I don't even go, I'm not even going to look at that. And I seriously, I don't even look at the forecasts that companies provide. Hmm. It's garbage when you invest. And, uh, you know, the main thing is give me a, tell me where your next three months worth of business is coming from. I kind of want names and ranks and, you know, where are they in the pipeline and that sort of stuff. What advice do you give people who say, oh, I've got an idea and I've got this company and I want to do this? How do people put their best foot forward when they come to see a an investor or a fund, a, uh, a sophisticated investor yeah, so, or so, a fund? Yeah. So yeah, what advice do I give to people with an idea? I say go read Bill Orlett's Disciplined Entrepreneurship and just follow that process. Uh, which is, you know, you don't do, you don't have to spend any money for quite a while, um, and you'll find out whether you've got something there. Uh, for people that are looking to raise money from investors in New Zealand, and so part of what I've done in the last few years is work with through NZTE on this program called Better by Capital. I helped over a hundred companies, essentially stopped now, helped over a hundred companies in you know two to three or four hour workshops um, who are on that journey. And for most, or for a good chunk of them, I'd say, look, raising money is hard. Mm. Uh, it's really easy, much easier for you perhaps to raise money from your um, customers. And so maybe put your prices up, maybe, um, you know, differentiate your prices a bit more to, to have a higher end product. Uh, maybe um, uh, maybe look at your costs. You know, you've got some obvious costs over here. Um, you know, maybe rather than founding a company and raising some money and paying for a lot of developers um, and paying yourselves big salaries, maybe you should do what all the other founders do, like Vaughan, who uh, who just didn't pay themselves at all for the first you know while, and uh, and just really scrounged to make it work, because that's actually what being a founder, um, you know, is is often about. Uh, and uh, so so, and then if you're going to an investor, there are two sorts of investors. Uh, there's the unicorn hunters, and then there's the um, the folks like us who are you know really we're more private equity in some ways. Uh, bring revenue, bring revenue growth, uh, bring a track record uh, of um, that shows that this business is, you know, that I can believe the forecast. So there's a curve in the background, like the trade me one from 2003, four. you know, there's that curve there so I can extrapolate that curve out and I'll get it there or thereabouts. So that's that's the main thing to bring. Uh, and uh, show that you own the niche and you understand the niche. And uh, there's a lot of BS out there. It's a lot better than it used to be, to be honest. Uh and uh, most of the time in New Zealand, there's so, there's, it's so hard to raise money and, and often the people rate, giving money in the angel clubs are, are not very, um, uh, the result's not very good uh, for anyone. And so um, it's best to, um, to try and avoid it if you can. <laughs> so. And what, one last uh, question about being um, a director. So in, as well as providing funds, you often um, take seats on boards of these companies. What, what does a director, what, what are your responsibilities as a director and how involved and, and, and uh, what kind of things are you bringing to these boards? So your responsibilities as a director are actually enshrined in law mm. and uh, they're pretty much, uh, if the company's bad, you'll go to jail. And I think you've got to take that seriously as a director. So a lot of people say, I want to be a director. So actually, you really want to think about whether you want to be a director because you have this huge uh, duty of care and uh, fiscal diligence and, and, and what have you that you need to do on the business. Uh, if there's any fraud, um, you need to make sure you've got controls in place and so on. And uh, and often it's hard in, in our space. It's, things move real fast. And the main thing I look for there is, um, is the ability to say, okay, if I do find something, we're doing something about it now. And uh, you expect you expect to find holes. That they, they are. I mean, there's often um, people do their accounting wrong 
or um, the accounting they're doing is set up for a company smaller than what they actually are at the time and so on. So the role I play on the boards actually varies dramatically. So some of the boards, you know, I'll chair the board. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole you know, team of people that are preparing things for the board. There's good inputs. Uh, there's a process during the boardroom. Uh, there are outputs, there are actions, uh, and, uh, and it, there's regular board meetings, and it's quite formal. Uh, and what you're trying to do in those meetings is focus on the important uh, not the, it's not really that there's some governancey stuff you have to do, but it's really you know what is the what are the key drivers of value in this business, and then making sure as you go through the year that you're cycling through all the different sides of the business. So let's look at people this month, and let's look at your um, your strategy for growth into this new market, and and, and so on. Uh, the your your job as a board, by the way, is to help the CEO, the founder, um, and the founding team, and you're you're really their servant. So you're you we have a founder-centric perspective uh, where we back the founder uh, and uh, and other people, other investors have, um, some other investors have a almost a reverse of that where they, they back the business and they'll just switch out the CEO. So the board's function is actually to hire and fire the CEO and support that person. Um, and if the company goes to the dust, that's the board's fault, not the CEO's. Uh, the so, so other boards, earlier stage ones or ones that are kind of steadier state, it's really, hey, Lance, can we come and have a conversation about X or we've been approached by Y or this deal is happening, can you help us over here? And it might be a series of phone calls. Maybe, you know, sometimes they just get slammed for you know, a little while on, on a particular deal or, or something going on. Um, or we have board meetings, um, but there are no inputs. However, we just pull out the same old um, uh Google Docs or whatever that we normally look at to say, well, here's the sales pipeline, here's what it looks like. And, you know, we've all, everyone's on zero, so the accounts are really easy these days. Um, so here's what's going on there, here's our cash. Uh, and then we talk about the strategy and, and whatever it is that, that, that they want to talk about at the time. So, uh, and then as the companies get bigger, you want to put more people on the board. Uh, and, uh, and you need to make sure you understand and we have this with our own board we've got an amazing board at Punukaki Fund Mike Bennett's and, and John Berry and uh, Mandy Simpson and Brian Hutchins and and uh, uh, they, they bring in quite a diverse set of perspectives uh, maybe as a large investor another one as a you know CEO of a major company who's you know raised hundreds of millions of dollars on an IPO um, you've got uh, the ex-COO of the NZX and a founder herself now or a CEO of a, of a high growth company uh, and uh, and a fund manager, uh, and so you, you deliberately set that diversity up, same in the, in the high growth companies, so that you um, and you want diversity of not just where they come from, but what they are, who they are, the cultural values, that sort of stuff, uh, as much as you can. And that's hard when you're a high growth company if you're small because you can't afford those people; they're not cheap. And sometimes we pay over hundred grand for for directors, um, and generally you want to get directors who have invested because they're free. And I, I never get paid. None, none of the, invest, the directorships we've got, uh, we get paid for because we, we think, well, we've given you money, it would be bad to take it back again. Uh, so uh, does that answer your question? It, it does, it yeah, does. And, good. and, and from, from your perspective, you, you went to Yale and you told them that I want to come back and run a fund here. And it was a hard start to get going, but it's going and, and the companies are seeing growth. I mean, how are you enjoying it at the moment? Is it, is it what you'd hoped it would be? I, the, the the journey. It's all about the journey. I think so. You know, while it would have been fun to, um, and I've had several occasions in my life to to have been involved in things where I could have made a lot of money, uh, I've chosen the 
I guess the harder path of of and it's it's not about how you succeed. It's not about whether you succeed. It's about how. And so um, to your question earlier, why aren't I motorcycling around the world? Well, I've done that. You know, I did that um, before I was cool, and uh, and I'm now I'm raising a I've got a young family and um, uh, and we're. Um, you know, I'm doing my my life in reverse, I guess, and so I'm settled roots down here in New Zealand again, and and uh, and off we go. Um, so look, we're not out of the woods yet. We're a 27 million dollar fund going on 29 um, million, I guess, after this round. Uh, we, uh, you know, sustainability for a fund is more like 150, uh, 200 million, uh, at least 100, and that's where we're aiming for for our IPO. Uh, but the you know what the driver here is is actually not. You know, do we have a sustainable fund? The driver here is, holy crap! I'm so angry at the huge gap between the the amazing companies that we see and the demand that they have, and smart money mm. in New Zealand. And you know, even the quantum of money is too small in New Zealand. We need hundreds of millions of dollars a year going into this space in New Zealand, and we're not getting it. And a lot of it is ill-directed, and a lot of a, a lot of advice has has been given has been really bad as well, uh, and. Uh, and I think that that sort of that's the driver of what we're trying to do is, is you know we just want to solve this problem and help these people and watch watch the founders uh, go nuts. It's so much fun to to see the the ecosystem grow and and to you know to be on the surfboard. I guess is the way I put it, which is pretty neat. Ah, thank you, Lance Wiggs, uh, the um, founder, co, co, co-founder, co-director of the Punic, of Punakaiki Fund, uh, who do have an offer live at the moment uh, and will be uh, going out to market again a number of times to get from 30 million to 150. Uh, so keep an eye on them. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you to Jose Barbosa for producing the show. Uh, and if you are a fan of the spinoff, make sure you jump onto iTunes and download the app, the very best way to get hold of the spinoff. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spinoff and Callahan Innovation. From The Spinoff Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.